the Spot Track Podcast, talking sports contracts, the salary cap, and business of sports. Welcome to another edition of the Spot Track Podcast. My name is Mike Giannetti. It is Wednesday, February 8th. It is Super Bowl week, but we are not discussing the Super Bowl today. I'm going to have a third show this week, probably Friday, most likely a Friday morning post that breaks down some of the bigger headlines for the Eagles, for the Chiefs, not only with this current roster and how they got there, but uh, some of the storylines coming off the Super Bowl and what it might mean for the offseason for both those teams, the sustainability factor, certainly some of those pending free agents, some extension candidates, some roster bubble candidates. And speaking of which, our 2023 roster bubble piece is now live on SpotTrack.com. Over 100 players, broken down by position. Um, I, di- I went as thorough as absolutely possible out of the gate. I'm going to continue to flex this thing. As reports come in, as some you know, some things change. As Derek Carr, uh, you know, comes back from his visit in New Orleans, and we'll see what happens there. But this is uh, version one of what probably is going to be four or five iterations of this thing on February eighth through March fifteenth. I think a lot of these moves are unlikely, and I, th- I say that every single year. And then half of them actually process. So it's a hell of a lot of names. I've got a description and some financial ramifications for every one of these players. What I think actually might happen, right, a pre-June 1st release, a uh, post-June 1st designation, a trade, a restructure, a nothing. But uh, plenty of work done on this one. Please, at Trek on Twitter, if you think I screwed something up, forgot a player, yada, 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 you know how this works. Then, just this morning on SpotTrek.com, I launched the Understanding NFL Dead Cap piece. It's a pretty decently thorough breakdown of dead cap in the NFL all the different versions of it, what it looks like, the simplicity of just a signing bonus and what that creates, guaranteed salary and what that does, what happens when a player is traded, what happens when a player is released, what is the post-June 1st designation, how does it work, how are teams utilizing it these days, uh, how many players on a roster can be designated in this regard, and so forth. I didn't go, you know, 10,000 words on this one. Uh, I went about 1,000 words on this one with as many real-life examples as possible. I know there's going to be more questions. Ask, please ask. Please ask at SpotTrack on Twitter. I'm happy to answer those questions. Give me a, an example that you're confused about. Tom Brady's dead cap because of void years, whatever it might be. Um, hit me up on Twitter. I'm happy to answer those kind of questions. But I wanted to lo- thro- at least throw something out there this time of year because it is all the rage, right? That's <laughs> Every move has ramifications, and that's only growing now as void years and things like that become more prevalent in the NFL. Today, it's a two-guest show. Off the top here, Keith Smith breaks down the Kyrie Irving move, what it means for Brooklyn, what it means for Dallas, what it means for Kyrie Irving, what it means for Kevin Durant. And uh, nobody's more dialed in with this stuff than Keith, who sort of reads the tea leaves, has actual conversations with agents and teams, sort of knows through the woodworks what's happening in Dallas and why this move might have been important. And if it's a four-month move or a three-year move, and just what is Kyrie Irving's value? What does he expect? If he didn't want to take the offer from Brooklyn, which you know, certainly seemed lowball based on what he's doing on the court still, what is that next offer going to look like? What will he actually, actually end up accepting? So that's on the top of the show here. Back end of the show. It's a baseball discussion with Cousin Dan. Obviously, it makes me very happy. I, one more piece on SpotTrack.com. It's been a big writing week so far. Ten Major League Baseball contract extension candidates. They're big names. These are big, big boys. So uh, it's the Otanis and Juan Sotos of the world, Pete Alonzo's in this conversation. Some pitchers to talk about. Some of the younger kids that I think might extend early. Two or three that I absolutely think are going to get done. Dan and I go back and forth on a lot of these names. Uh, A big discussion on the Otani situation with the Angels. 
a decent discussion on Vlad Guerrero and where that might be headed because you may not know just how damn good he's been, and he's only 23 years old. So where is this one headed? But full articles on spotrick.com right now, 30 minutes or so with Dan discussing the crux of it at the back end of the show. Keith Smith is here. The basketball world is finally waking up, Keith. This is, uh, <laughs> this is what we've been waiting for, at least from the outside looking in. I know you live and breathe this stuff every single night and uh, digest it and, and live with it on Twitter. But, you know, this is a real deal. This is the, the official start of the trade deadline. Uh, Kyrie Irving to the Dallas Mavericks. I, I guess, you know, I, I'm seeing so many conflicting opinions here. I just, I, let's just start with that. Where do you stand um, 24 hours removed from Kyrie to Dallas? Yeah, it's a very interesting trade. And I think what my main takeaway here is the Nets did pretty well in a situation where they had absolutely no leverage at all. And and it's I think it gets overblown that teams don't have leverage too too much. I think sometimes the focus becomes on, well, you know, the players always hold all the leverage. Well, when a guy's under a long-term contract, there's only so much they can do because very few guys are going to show up and not play hard or not do what they're supposed to do. So teams can generally kind of wait it out. Like we saw with the Kevin Durant situation over the summer, but in this one, it's Kyrie. We know Kyrie is not opposed to missing games to, to make a point. Mm -hmm. And beyond that, he made it very clear uh, from all the reporting that I'm leaving at the end of the season. Doesn't matter. Trade me. Don't trade me. Whatever. I'm not going to be here. So at that point, he sapped most of the Nets leverage. But to get two really good uh, rotation level guys in Spencer Dinwiddie and Dorian Finney-Smith and a pick that could be in the post-Luka years, that, that's pretty good where it worked for the Nets. And there's a very much a real sense that they are not done. And there's still a lot to come here uh, over the next little bit from them. Yeah, I will get to that for sure. But um, <laughs> I, 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 I tried to convey that exact message yesterday on Twitter after a little bit of a rant because I, I was just so sick of hearing about the Lakers and how LeBron got, you know, pushed out of this conversation. Uh, Keith, this was, this had to be the best deal on the table. I, I've seen some reports of the Clippers offer and the Lakers offer and blah, blah, blah. But, you know, you laid it out just like I did yesterday on, on Twitter. It's not that they got those two players. Those are two players under term. Those are two players that can be in the fold now for two years, two plus years. In Finney's case, the pick is, identical to what the Lakers situation would be, you know, and if the Lakers were offering two first, that's great. But at least, at least for the next 24 hours, this was about establishing the best roster possible immediately so that they can attempt to keep Kevin Durant uh, under contract here for two, three more, three more years before he demands to get out of town. That's at least part of this, right? It was about getting Kyrie out the door because you're right. At some point, this was going to go all the way South as he, you know, prepares himself for a free agency in his next contract and trying to hold court because they're a halfway decent roster and Kevin Durant, when he returns from injury, makes them a great roster, right? Yeah, that's exactly what, what it's about. It's whether it's Dinwiddie and Finney Smith or some other combination of guys, we know uh, the Nets were trying to expand that trade late into the day yesterday to maybe make it a three-way deal and get some other guys in place um, where maybe it was Fred Van Vliet, other players from the Raptors that were unable to do so because really it came down to the, I think the Mavericks were, hey, either we get this done uh, you know, Monday 
or we need to rethink about this whole thing because they're in a position where they need Kyrie Irving on the floor as soon as possible. So I think from the net side though, that's exactly what this is about. They're not blowing this up and tearing it down. If Kevin Durant had walked in, you know, uh, almost like a revolving door into Sean Mark's office after Kyrie said, I want out of here and said, Hey, me too. Then maybe we're having a completely different conversation. But the reality is after this season, The Nets have Kevin Durant for three more years and $153.5 million, all guaranteed, no options. So it is, hey, we're going to make the most of this. Or if it really doesn't work, we can re-engage all the same teams, which, by the way, is 29 of them on Kevin Durant (laughs) trade talks um, over the summer again. And then we'll feel a little bit you know, better about probably getting something done because we won't have Kyrie anymore and we'll figure it out. But but that that's what this is about. It's about, hey, KD, we can still put a really good team. And there's a sense from talking to some folks, Kevin Durant, unlike over the summertime when it was, you know what, I, I, I just, I got to do what's best for me. I got to get out of here. There is a real sense that KD is in a spot where, all right, hey, Kyrie doesn't want to be here. This is not what's best for us anymore moving forward. So yeah, let's, let's go a different direction fully where we're maybe I'm, I'm the one uh, who sticks around and rebuild around me now. And that's what, what I think um, the Nets are looking to do today. Do you believe Kevin Durant has gone to that office yet? I don't think so. I, I, I think everybody knows where that stands yeah. with, with him. And I think, I think Kevin Durant is also, he, he's a smart guy who's been around this for a very, very long time. I think he realizes trying to move $44 million in salary is not an easy thing to do uh, in season. And, uh, you know, the Nets would need, you know, that kind of monster haul back, which is multiple players plus multiple draft picks and all that sort of stuff. So that's a, that's a summer deal that that's not a in season deal. So I, I think Durant is probably looking at it and saying, Hey, you know what? Yeah. Let's try and put a good team around. Let's see where we go. Let's see what we do in the, in this playoff run. And if it's pretty good, great. Then we'll keep tweaking. We'll keep making moves. If it doesn't so, go so well, then you know what? Let's let's you know what we can always rediscuss and reengage over the summer. Yeah, I feel the same way. And quite quite frankly, Kevin Durant has been transparent with us, you know, publicly. So I I think if that request was already made, it would have been made public because his agency yeah. and his. The people around him like to negotiate through social media, unfortunately. And, and that's just where we're going with a lot of players. So it's not just him. Um, the fact that it's been radio silent makes me believe you're dead on, that he's going to let this thing carry through to July, see how the season ends up. If there's promise, and I think there could be, then you know maybe it's about adding, not subtracting at that point. And I think that's probably where we end up. What about Dallas? The, the, the one thing that's being underserved with this move is that not only did they have to move $36.5 million, Right, the Nets, but that, but there was a trade kicker involved. <laughs> there's, there's unlikely incentives <laughs> that could kick in because Kyrie's actually played a, a decent amount of ball games this year outside of the suspension. Uh, you know, there's just a lot of moving parts here, so you you couldn't just throw back a simple contract and say we'll take him on for a four month rental and see where we go. But is that where Dallas stands right now? Do you think that was a lot given up for what could be a four month rental? 
Yes, uh, to an extent. Um, <laughs> I, I think, you know, just to go back to the complications with, with this trade, it's funny, you know, uh, Scott, um, who, you know, uh, under, you know, appreciated for all the work he does uh, for the site. I, I know he he saves me on a daily basis, sure. um, and, you know, and I love everything he does for the site. And I, he were going, we were going back and forth and I was like, man, for a pretty simple two player for two player trade, this thing was complicated because yeah. there were trade bonuses on both sides. There were all sorts of things that you had to work through and there were base compensation versus bonus and unlikely bonuses and all this stuff so it was it was you know kind of fun for the two of us to nerd out and get into the math and the numbers on it but for the dallas side of things i think you know you can sit there and say if in july Kyrie irving signs with another team hey well we created salary cap flexibility but the reality is you could have done that without trading a future first round pick. So that this is the ultimate high risk, high reward uh, move for the Mavericks. Now, I don't think it's going to go as badly on the court as some people have, have suggested it may go because Luca did this with Jalen Brunson and Kyrie Irving is essentially a souped up version of Jalen Brunson yeah, on the, the offense. Yeah, and Kyrie's played with he's played with LeBron, he's played with KD. He knows how to play with guys who who have the ball a lot. He knows how to make that work. So I, I'm not too worried about that. It's kind of everything else of you know Kyrie could pick up the microphone ahead of his first game with the Mavericks and say, "Sign in here this summer." You know, don't worry about it. And I and I would be like, "Yeah, I've heard that story." Yeah, Boston, right? <laughs> you know exactly, right? So it's you know, nah, I'm good. You know, well, let's just I'll believe it when you actually sign the contract, and then I'll believe it when you actually fulfill and play that contract. But I think there's a sense maybe from Kyrie Irving of, you know what, there was not this overwhelming market of teams that were beating down Brooklyn's door to trade for me. So he's 31 now, and it is, or he's going to be 31 in about a month. So it turns into, I got to figure this out because this is probably my last best shot with, with this. So there'll always be some team that will give him a chance just because how talented he is. But I think if he really wants to win, he's going to be fully engaged here with Dallas. And I think, you know, we'll, we'll see how this goes. I have questions about their defense and a lot of other things that I'm, I'm not fully sure how it's going to look and work uh, with the Mavericks. But I, I, I think, you know, we may see this go a little bit better than some of the uh, doom and gloom folks are out there about, you know, they, there's only one ball and, you know, this is never going to work with Luca needing it so much and all those things. I don't think it's going to play out like that. You mentioned to me right after, or actually before this actually happened, that a team that acquires him, could actually consider offering him an extension immediately, which is certainly going to be less money for Kyrie uh, versus waiting till July. Is that off the table here? Yeah, it probably is. So it's, it's, when you get into the extension, it's roughly two years, 80 million. That's the easiest way without getting into super deep of why that's not well, well, what it is. We'll call it two years, 80 million um, for Kyrie Irving. The reason for that is if a player is traded, uh, they can only extend for a contract that falls within the extended trade amounts, which is essentially a 5% raise with a 5% raise on the second year. Mm. So it's two years at 5% raises each year. Now the challenge comes in on that is that's, that's well under market value for Kyrie Irving. Two years and 80 million is less than he could get by just doing a two year deal this summer with Dallas. So because they now hold his full bird rights, those transfer with him in this deal, they can offer him a contract that projects to start at 46.9 million uh, over the summer in year one. 
And that's, I think, for Kyrie, he's looking at and saying, yeah, I'm not extending for an under-market deal uh, when you know I'd be leaving significant money on the table. That's risk for Dallas, right? Because like we talked about, this could turn into in July, see you later, I'm out of here, I'm you know off to where I'm going next. But I, th- I think everybody is kind of understanding of, hey, this was not coming with an extension, so let's play this out. And if you're Dallas, you're still sitting there confidently saying, hey, no matter what anybody else offers you, we have the ability, should yeah. we so choose, to beat that offer. Yeah, that's right. And they're going to be able to free up a little cap, as you mentioned. So there's there's a lot of moving parts with Dallas that could turn positive. But I think for the most part, uh, the majority of people think this is going to flatline. <laughs> and and, and just, <laughs> that's just generally what Kyrie situations have done in the past. But usually it takes a couple years to get there. So maybe on a short-term basis with, you know, like you said, a player who knows he needs a contract. He, he, he's not going to be handed is he a max player, Keith? If he hits, if he walks in, on July first, is there a team sitting out there with a max contract? All right, so those are two different questions. Yep. <laughs> I'm going to answer them different ways. Yep. Uh, the first one is, I think he probably is still a max player, okay. but I would only do it on like a two-year deal, and I would want you know because, like you said, it usually takes a couple years for it to go sideways. Let's not lock in for four or five years here. And Let me make jump this in. Do you mess. think that's what Brooklyn offered? a two-year max with with two non-guaranteed or one non-guaranteed yeah my assumption is just reading all that reporting that came together there was some kind of on the final year maybe final two years of hey we need you to play in x amount of games and if we win enough whether that's get to the finals or win a championship because it was reporting that it was related to championship incentives then what i think happened there was Kyrie's like well wait a minute because yeah. if you blow up the team you know and trade kd now i'm stuck and i kind of get it from his side and i also get it from the net side i even tweeted like how dare the nets try and protect them from a guy who's played roughly half the games while he's been in Brooklyn, <laughs> and all those things right so i get why the nets were trying to protect it but i also get why Kyrie was like yeah that doesn't work for me but so but will that contract exist to go back to the offseason here yeah so there's the challenge when we look at the offseason right now, there's about eight-ish teams, maybe as many as 10, could be 12, pending on how things go here over the, the next week leading into the trade deadline that could create cap space. The challenge is, right now, by my projections, two have enough space to actually offer Kyrie a max deal. We could throw a third in there because they can get there. So those teams are the Houston Rockets. I don't know that I see Kyrie no. signing up to play with them. The Detroit Pistons, probably not. And the San Antonio Spurs, and I can say guaranteed no way that is happening. So now you're looking at, all right, well, what's going to happen? Yes, there could be sign-in trades. There could be teams that can use $30 million in cap space as a portion of the match while sending a contract out. There's all those sorts of things. And everybody's just saying, well, you know, the Lakers will still be looming out there, you know, for Kyrie if, if they want them. Well, they can still get there. But that's, you know, you're talking 33 to 35 million in space, and they don't have the ability to create anymore because you've got Anthony Davis and LeBron James on the on the roster, you know, making, you know, just shy of 100 million between the two of them for next, or I guess just shy of 90 million. It's about, you know, 80, 88 million or so. So I think what you're really looking at in this situation is, you know, where are we 
going with this with, with Kyrie? Who's going to have that uh, cap space to offer him? And signing trades get tricky because that triggers a hard cap, and there's all sorts of restrictions on that. So I think his best bet is probably going to be, hey, I got to play this out, play really, really well with the Mavs, and then we can turn this into, all right, you know what, I'm going to you know, really do everything I can to kind of lock in here, turn that into whatever his next contract is, and we all know how that goes. If he doesn't like it there, then maybe we we see another move, or if Dallas doesn't like to fit, it's, hey, you've only got to take on a year and a half worth of salary or whatever it is. So I think short-term, but the max deal is probably what comes, probably like a two years at the max or something like that. I, I was thinking about the sign and trade part of this, and I, you mentioned it a few times there, and certainly it has its difficulties. Is he a player worth doing that for? Uh, yeah, that's so tough. I, 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 yeah, I struggle with Kyrie, and most of it is because of the sense of is he going to be there when you need yeah. him? And I think the challenge with Kyrie Irving is even if you move past all the off the court stuff, and and a lot of you know folks kind of get into, you know what. Like this is not like like this is not going to happen here, which is probably faulty logic considering it's happened everywhere else. But if you got if you got past all that, then you got to get into this is a guy with a lengthy injury history. Yeah. He's had knee issues. He's had shoulder issues. He's had other things where he's been banged up. He is a guy who just even if you take away everything else, he's probably a good bet to miss twenty five or thirty games a year anyway with that. And that's where you start to say. All right, well, if we're going to do this and give him a max deal, we better have a Luca or a LeBron or a KD or somebody like that around him that we are comfortable, hey, for the 25, 30 games he misses, we're still covered and good because otherwise you're in a spot where if you build it all around Kyrie and he misses, now all of a sudden you've put yourself in a position where it's going to be really hard to win games. So that's where I think the hesitation comes in, and that makes his market fairly limited to – uh, one teams that can approach that max deal and teams that will that's kind of a venn diagram mm. that only has a couple teams sitting in the middle it's ugly um i do think this is a decent spot for him i, I know i've heard much of the backlash that you have I, I think what you just said there is exactly the point though at some point in time when you're 30 plus you need a counterpart and he's got maybe the best counterpart <laughs> at his position in all of basketball so as long as these two can kind of, you know, feed off each other a little bit, or maybe that's not even the case. Maybe there's a world where Jason Kidd can kind of, uh, you know, A and B this lineup a little bit with uh, with these two sort of splitting minutes. Certainly, Dodgers and his usage could could use a little pullback, yes. right? Um, <laughs> that's the really important right. part of this is um, even giving him a couple possessions per half where they go spot up yeah. and just hang out. We'll play four and four on this side of the floor. Like, that is huge. And then also – their non-Luka minutes, just they, they're bad. Yeah. And it's basically a losing thing. They will play very few, if any, meaningful minutes the rest of this season without either Luka or Kyrie or both on the floor. Um, and that's if you're Jason Kidd, that's now all of a sudden, hey, we, we are back to where we were when Jalen Brunson was propping up those non-Luka lineups. Now we're propping them up with Kyrie Irving, who as much as I love Jalen Brunson, Kyrie Irving is a is a better player than Jalen Brunson is. So that that's a, a you know a, a very key part to this yeah. deal that I think gets missed a little. We we can't just focus on the the minutes with Luka, which I think as we talked about, I think they're going to be fine. But you got to look at what does it look like when uh, he's playing with um, without Luka as well, which should be good also. You mentioned earlier. We'll finish on this, Keith. 
that you don't think Brooklyn's done. And I think we both agree that that doesn't mean Kevin Durant, at least not this week or in the next 48 hours here. Uh, <laughs> I don't think Dallas is done either. Do you? I feel like that was just step one. I know you've had some encounters with the Christian Wood situation. You don't believe yep. that a long-term deal is coming there. That's a player of value. You know, maybe not as much as he was a year ago, but he's, he's showing he's, he's an 18 player, you know, point player per game right now, eight rebounds. That's, that's more than a lot of teams can say about their big men. So I, I do think that yeah, that's a guy that's, that's on the block right now. Um, they just need to get better inside that paint to now facilitate what's a pretty damn good, you know, backcourt in Dallas. Uh, specifically, if you can speak to what might happen there and then what might happen with Brooklyn. You mentioned Toronto. I know every, every team's in on Toronto, but Brooklyn's got to be pretty enticing right now. Yeah, if we start with Dallas, I would say here here are some numbers to really keep in mind for them. Davis Bertan, 16 million. Reggie Bullock, 10 million. Tim Hardaway, 19.6 million. Uh, Dwight Powell, 11 million. And Christian Wood, 14.3 million. I don't like reducing players to just a salary number, but it's that time of year. That's what it what it becomes. So those are all really nice pieces that they could move. Now, some of those are attached to value. Some of them are not. Davis Bertans, eh, that's a little tough because you're taking on 17 million next year for him. But I think in this situation with the Mavs, they're very much in position where they can do other stuff. I would keep an eye out on uh, Jakob Pertl mm -hmm. for them. I think he's a guy who can make a ton of sense uh, for, for Dallas in a trade because I think that becomes, hey, now we got a guy that we really feel like can, you know, lock down the middle. And you know, let's face it, the middle needs locked down because the, the perimeter is not getting a lot done out there defensively. So there's stuff to come for Dallas. Christian Wood. I wouldn't be surprised if in the next couple of days he's traded because I don't think there's a long-term deal coming with him. I don't, I, I think he either wants four years in the full extension amount they can give him, or he wants, you know, much shorter where it's like a year or two and then he can get back on the market. I just think that situation is, is a little sideways um, with that one. And then, like I said, there's all those other contracts that can kind of just piece together and go get really whatever it is they need on the Brooklyn side of things. It's kind of the same story. Yeah. You've got a whole bunch of those mid range contracts and Ben Simmons is still sitting there at 35 and a half million. And I think if you're the Nets, he has no value right now. No, nobody is offering anything of value. But if you're the Nets, now you have that extra pick that you got from Dallas. You can start to plus up and offer around Simmons. And that's why we've heard some of this. Can they get in the mix for Pascal Siakam? Well, that's how you do it, is you find a team that says, oh, you know what, we'll take on the Simmons reclamation project. But you got to pay us a little bit to do that. And now Brooklyn is in position to do that paying where they were not prior to this trade, uh, at least in a meaningful way. So it's, it's, it's you know, very interesting. You've got Dinwiddie by himself, $20 million. He can't be aggregated before the trade deadline. So that's another guy if they're like, hey, we kind of been there, done that, but we, we'd like to get our hands on Fred Van Vliet. You know, you could see how that could get broken up. And what we may see is if it's Toronto, you may see this be like a bigger deal if they went with Toronto where it's like, hey, they got Van Vliet and, you know, Gary Trent Jr. or whatever it is. And people may be like, but I thought they couldn't trade Dinwiddie with another player. What it is, is it's always important to remember teams can break these deals up in whatever way is legal and most beneficial to them. So while it would get reported as Dinwiddie plus for, you know, plus and plus, it can actually be done in a different direction. I think that's probably where we're headed with this. Two separate faxes, right? Yep. Um, yep. I really like that relationship. 
between what Toronto has to give up and what Brooklyn needs. Um, I, I like it for a lot of teams, I, but I, I agree with you. I think that what they've done is they've acquired assets, and whether that's for now or whether that's for the summer or whether that's for a next trade done, because like I said, you've got players under term here and uh, certainly a, a big Katie mouth to feed. So I, I, I like where this is headed. I, I think it's under an underrated point, and I'll, I'll get your thoughts on, on the way out here. Just getting off this this Kyrie situation, which could have gone so much worse over the next two months, right? I mean, we've seen it absolutely torpedo front offices, lineups, uh, certainly seasons in the past year. And look, he was playing really meaningful minutes. He was playing really good basketball, so I think you're right. This guy understands what's happening in the next six months from his career standpoint, and uh, he'll probably continue to be a good soldier in Dallas. But just getting off of this deal, this situation, and getting back what you've done and now being able maybe to parlay it into what could be a huge blockbuster over the next 48 hours, uh, I'm, I'm swinging all with Brooklyn on this one. I, I got to see it in Dallas to love it. I, I like it right now, but I, I, I think Brooklyn did a hell of a job here. Absolutely. To, to circle back to what we started with, in a situation where they have little to no leverage, they That's came right. out great with, with this. And this this is huge because I I, I know people like Kyrie never would have actually sat out. It's Kyrie Irving. I mean, I think he would have. I, I would say 99.9% of the rest of the league, I would say, yeah, the guy's not really going to sit out. Kyrie Irving, he does things in a different way. I, you know, for all the guys in the world who say it's not about the money, most of them, it's about the money. With Kyrie, I don't know that it really is about the money for him. I think a lot of times it's about making a point and trying to push you know, what he wants. So I'm very uh, you know, favorable on what the Nets did here in a situation that turned sour. They 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 may come out of this you know, feeling pretty good about you know, where everything landed, whether there's more deals to come or not. He's going to take less and join the Lakers next July, Keith. That's where this is headed. You know <laughs> this is going there. It's quite right? possible. Yeah, you know where this is going. All right, man, good stuff. Thank you. All right, Dan, it's Super Bowl week, so naturally we're going to talk about Major League Baseball contract extensions. <laughs> it's always an uh, exciting time for us. Pitchers and catchers reporting about, I don't know, geez, less than a week. Actually, exactly a week here for most of these teams. So it's, uh, it's kind of a funny situation business-wise, right? We're in some arbitration filings right now. Some of these teams are going back and forth with some uh, big, big names. We're seeing some smaller extensions hit. I think there's maybe a few more baked into the cake here before opening day, maybe even right at opening day. I've got a list of 10 players here. I know you've briefed this list. Just give me out of the 10, how many of these players even broach a contract extension in your opinion this year? Not, not necessarily in the next couple of weeks, but this year. So before the off season. Oh, okay. Including this yeah. year. Okay. Yeah. Let's I give it. You know, it could be a trade deadline move or something like that, right? Yeah. I mean, what do you want to call it? Half, maybe half of these guys probably are like, let me, let me rephrase. All Mm -hmm. of these guys are realistic candidates for this. I just, we tend to think from like a league health standpoint and a player's association standpoint, all of these guys are not going to, to, these are the guys on this list are pretty much you know, in the elite right. or fringe elite group of talent in, in the, in the major league. So for all of these guys to simultaneously punt, punt on free agency or, you know, kick it down the line a little bit further, um, I'd be pretty surprised, but I think about half of them, you, you could see some realistic, um, 
players get locked up or teams lock these guys up. I mean, that was the, that was where I was alluding to here is I think we've had back to back really healthy, really strong free agencies, especially for these elite players. I think they've done well, maybe even better than was to be assumed in some cases, you know, the, the plethora of shortstops over the past two off seasons didn't stop teams from paying, even overpaying any of them. All of them made at least what they're worth, if not more, based on what the math says. So I think if you're a player like Juan Soto or Aaron Nola, who is on an expiring contract here, you've got to feel pretty good about whatever they're going to offer you today or whatever you can get next December 1st when there's 15 teams looking at you for the next six to eight years. So it's, I, I didn't, I don't know if I would have felt this way three years ago. I thought there was a real downward trend with free agency. And I guess the answer was it just needed a, a shot in the arm. It needed six or seven actual players to get there that were worth a damn to get owners in front offices. And maybe there's some new ownership involved here too, obviously, but to get these, uh, to get the ball rolling again, it feels like we're rolling free agency wise. Right. Yeah, I'd say so. I, I mean, and that's taking into consideration some of these um, massive quote value contracts from a team perspective that have already come off the board in um, recent years. So, mm-hmm. yeah, I agree. Free agency is kind of at its peak right now from what we've seen. And it's maybe a little bit um, dampened by some of the pre-arb arb extensions we've seen in recent years, too. Mm-hmm. So, What's the worst contract sitting out there right now? You don't Ooh. you don't have the the sort of nerdy knowledge of it that I do just, I'm wondering from the outsiders expect, uh, you know, you know, viewpoint a little bit here. What do you think is, is the lowest hanging fruit right now? I mean, the Hayward um, contract is off the books. Now the Pujols contract is off the books now, and that's certainly rounded back into form. Yeah. And the Hosmer deal is sort of petering out now. Mm-hmm. Um, I mean, Strasburg? off the top of my head, it's going to be Strasburg by, I mean, Baez, Javier Baez might be one of like the more poorly. I mean, the Corbin, um, the Corbin one's not long enough to qualify, but it's, it's a mess. The Rendon one has got to be in this yeah, conversation. I, <laughs> I'm a Rendon apologist. I still think he's much better <laughs> than um, he's performed since that contract was signed. Now, do I think he was likely overpaid for sure? But um I still think there's meat on the bone. I, I, I think there's room for him to provide value in the next two to three years that might kind of recoup what people think um, about that contract. But I could be dead wrong on that as well. He It may go down as one of the worst um, mm-hmm. free agent contracts ever signed. But I, I, I'm a little bit more hopeful on that one. But yeah, the other – Strasburg is – that one was so puzzling, like why they even did it when they did it. The more I look into it and we've yeah. like been doing a lot of pre-arb arb um, data for the website, but I just can't figure out really the timing of it, the injury. I mean, he did stay healthy, but there were injury concerns coming into the league. There were just a number of questions why they locked him into that deal. Um, and he really, I don't even think he's pitched on that deal one inning, has he? It's it's minimal. It's maybe fifteen to twenty, um, and I don't know that he ever pitches again. That they, they let the World Series pay him. That's what they did. It was the right. Joe Flacco syndrome, um, and it happens. That at least there's that right. At least they had one with him at some point. 
and then decided he was going to be the cornerstone piece going forward. It, what about the Mickey Cabrera situation? I, I'm trying to I'm trying to load us, ourselves into a conversation of what kind of what type of contracts and extensions maybe should baseball really be getting rid of? Is the second Mickey Cabrera contract fine in your opinion? Or is that one of those situations where I don't care how, how attached this player is to the franchise. You just can't do that anymore. You know, it was, it was like three years early. (laughs) Yeah. It's, I don't know. It feels, I mean, some of these, some of these contracts we see right now are going to turn into that contract Um, in, in the future. It's just that, Yes and no, Dan. Yes and no. At, at least at least with some of these newer deals, especially the free agency ones, they were segmented from their previous contract or even their previous team. The Cabrera one is I'm just we're just going to continue to roll this over. It's almost like the Patriots paying Tom Brady three massive contracts while in the middle of the previous contract. You know what I mean? Like instead of letting it get to the end of the contract and then decide, yeah, well, let's do this again. Let's run it back. They just kept rolling rolling, almost as if they felt they had to do it early enough because the average annual value value stuff was just skyrocketing in the league. And if they if they if they did it early enough, maybe they'd get some value out of it. It makes no sense. The Ryan Braun contract with Milwaukee was similar. It made absolutely no sense when they did it. And obviously steroids and and whatnot took that down the tank. But um, that to me feels like the, the absolute no, no in this sport anymore. And by the way. I think the players should be saying the same thing too with this free agency burst we're having. I think, you know, some of these guys should not even consider an extension with uh, a couple of years left on their current contract. And we're going to talk about Machado at the end of this conversation, but I just, I just wonder where we're going with this, you know? Yeah. So I think it is important to separate these out into yeah. guys who are extending multiple years out when they are free agent eligible versus these guys who are extending early when they're pre-arb or arb eligible. I think it is important to kind of outline that. Um, The Miguel Cabrera contract was an extension when he was already free agent eligible. Like you said, they kind of signed that a little bit early. So that doesn't really make sense to me because the free agent number is going to be high either way. Like, are you going to save a little bit by signing him early? Like we see with quarter, you know, teams trying to do with quarterbacks in the NFL. Yeah, probably, but you're still paying him a huge chunk of money to eat into years that really the team, the team is taking on all the leverage from that perspective. But um, these other guys like Cattell Marte, who signed a pre-arb extension with options and then signed an arbitration extension um, that voided those options and then got him into free agency years. I don't have an issue with those kind of contracts. Um, it, it's the ones in free age. Sorry, we should just back up also and put a disclaimer on this. This is from the team perspective in terms mm-hmm. of trying to manage a team payroll. We are very pro labor. We are very much for players <laughs> maximizing um, their financial value throughout their career. I just want to put that out there because I keep seeing a lot of stuff um, and sometimes I do think we like fo- we lean into the value thing a little bit too much, but spottrack.com is all about financials and values and, and we have to look at it from that perspective. So from Mickey Cabrera locking in all that general generational money, I don't have any issue um, from it. I, from a team perspective though, I think it's, it's less than ideal to be extending players who are on a free agent contract um, and extending them with another uh, essentially free agent extension, if you will. Right. So, 
Right. Well, there's nothing value about the 10 guys we're talking about today. I mean, <laughs> I mean I've, I've literally handpicked uh, pretty much the top of the top of the market here in terms of guys I think are next up. Um, you, you gave me a couple of, of the pre-yard players that I think could be in this conversation, and I, and I like them quite a bit. But let's start at the top where, we, where it belongs, which is I, I think the running theme of this entire season, Shohei Otani, right? How could it not be? Yeah, for sure. Um, I mean, at this point, I think we all feel there's zero chance he gets to, um, I mean, that, not to, not to um, step on your article. Uh, it, we, Mike's prediction here is that he hits the open market. I, I don't think we have really any indication um, that at this point, anything different would, would happen. If I, I, we think if he was had intentions of locking an extension um, with the angels or, uh, you know, open to locking in an extension with a team that trades for him, we think it probably would have went down that route already. So um, it, it does seem like all signs point to him um, testing the market in one way or another, whatever that means. Are you, um, let's just foreshadow because I don't think there's any chance an extension happens either. Are you okay with the angels just holding on to this for dear life to the bitter end and not getting any trade value for him? I mean, we saw it with Bryce Harper, and they won the World Series the next year. Right. Different situation, though. Team very yeah. much primed to win. Um, it, it didn't yeah. want to pull the rug out from under themselves. I mean, some people might argue the Angels are primed to win, but I'm not one of them this year. I know I have been in the past. Um, I, I think you have to look yourself in the mirror long and hard at the deadline and you have to get some value for him. And typically we see players, you know, heading into free agency or, you know, on the verge of free agency, their trade value be super minimal. We've seen that really kind of um, be solidified in recent years, specifically really since the Manny Machado trade a couple of years ago. Yeah. I, I still think teams that are jockeying to get the edge on either trying to extend him will be willing to overpay a little bit. There's certain organizations that have the depth um, to, to overpay with the hopes of extending him. Even if Scott Boris has no intention of doing that to at least get him in house um, for a playoff run and hopefully be able to woo him into a long-term extension. Now, whether that actually happens or not, I'm a little skeptical. I think you're skeptical but I do think a team like the Dodgers would be able to, to, to one up other teams in terms of prospect value in order to try and do that and have the, the chance at it. <clears throat> Why wait then? Is has to be the logical next question because the angels uh, from the angels yeah, perspective. Yeah, yeah. Cause here, he, here's the point to be made and you know, it's, it's a flimsy point, but it's a point they're projected to be fourth in this division out of the gate. Texas, Seattle, Houston, all projected to have more wins than them this year, according to a couple of the sites I've looked at. They're about an 81-win team, according to Vegas right now, with Otani on the roster. Why, do, why, why even wait? Isn't there significantly more value today than there will be July 31st? Yeah. If it's the right team. If it's the Dodgers, let's say it's the Dodgers. Well, the Dodgers should theoretically have no issue getting into the playoffs, though, with or without Otani. So I, I yep. think from a, a bona fide contender's perspective, um, they can kind of wait and see what happens. I, I like 
man, I don't know. And I don't want to try and act like I know what the angels are up to, but with the ownership sale, with having a cornerstone player like Otani, like, Mm -hmm. is it better? We've talked about this. Is it better to have him in house for a sale? Is it better to not? Well, Moreno's well, not con- selling now, Dan. Exactly. That conversation got thrown out the window with yeah. Moreno, but what but now we have to kind of try reshift what we're trying to what we think he is trying to do. If he <laughs> wants to keep it, does he want to try and extend him? Does he say get it done at all costs? Uh, I mean, I still don't think he, you know, Otani or Scott Boris, whoever is the leader there is going to want to go back to the Angels considering what is going on here, but yeah. I mean it's very, it's very possible. Paramanasian is is a sitting duck, lame duck GM here too within the next couple of years. So is he going to be the guy who offers him five hundred million dollar contract? Is Artie Moreno going to let that happen? Man, I have no clue what the Angels are doing. I still just don't think from a like unless he really loved his time in in LA with or with that, not even just LA with that organization specifically. Right. I don't really see why he would have any motivation to sign a long-term contract there. So give me three teams who would trade for him right now. Well, the Dodgers, obviously, obviously. And I'm, I, I kind of point directly to that because of the pro I, I think they could outdo any team in terms of prospect capital. I think the Mets would obviously be in, but I, yeah. I mean, there, there's some appealing packages there around Francisco Alvarez, Brent Beatty, something like that. But I don't really know if they have the pitching prospects to get it done, quite honestly. Um, I mean, then then who else are we talking about here? I know Seattle is on your short list. I think they're a little bit gutted. The Padres are on, you know, are mm-hmm. a, a talking point. I think their system is a little bit gutted in terms of a trade. So a lot of these teams, I feel like they have to wait in terms of what they currently have um, to work with. As I talk through it, I really wonder how many teams can – outbid the Dodgers if the Dodgers want to be the team to get first access but do they even want to do they just want to get to the open market with him it's really hard to quantify all of these moving pieces right <clears throat> outside of the Dodgers who have the you know one of the best rosters in baseball and the best farm system in baseball which is freaking absurd but that's where we are and by the way they they kind of took the, the offseason off here you know they kind of slow played this offseason let a couple of, of pieces move on drop themselves down in the tax conversation a little bit, which is good business on their part. Cause I think you're right. I think they know they can kind of back their way into the playoffs this year, really without doing too much, you know, without doing too much more tinkering, they'll, they'll do something at the deadline. I'm sure they always do. But um, my guess is they're sitting here looking around just like we just did and aren't too concerned about somebody jumping right now with an overpay trade price. Right. I think everybody in the league just has a, a wink and nod, you know, situation and they're up in the back of their minds that this is going to free agency and we'll win the war there, you know, uh, here, I'll give you, I'll give you two teams. I think I've got two the, more as well. Go ahead. Yeah. Yeah. So two teams, I think theoretically there could be a need there. Plus they'd have the prospect capital to get it done and would probably be willing. If they're doing this, we're, we're hypothetically saying they're willing to extend him and, or we'll have interest in him on the open market. If he hits in 2024, um, the Cardinals have... Okay, that's my number one team. <laughs> yeah, so the Cardinals have a ton of prospect depth, 
Yeah. Um, probably to the point where they don't really know what to do with it. They really, we've talked about this. At, I think they're a player for Corbin Burns or Brandon Woodruff. If those guys are available, um, yeah. they need an ace. They will, they have a good enough lineup to get to the playoffs, to win that division. They need an ace, at least if they want to really be a bona fide contender, in my opinion. Um, and quite frankly, Arenado not opting out and staying on that contract was a huge win for them financially. Huge. For sure. And they do have some, some arms. Maybe they're just going to wait those guys out. But I mean, if Wainwright retires after this year and you're suddenly looking around at like a Jack Flaherty, Steven Matz, yep. like, uh, yep. I mean, they're going to add their you could put Nolan but... Gorman. You, you, there's a lot of nice players that could toss into this conversation. Yep. Tons of them, tons of them. So that's number one, my really dark horse team. I know you're going to, you're the, the Cubs, the Cubs are ready. They, they act, they're walking the walk. They're talking to talk. They're acting like they're ready to contend. They have a sneaky, good farm system. Um, they really did a real, they did a phenomenal job of retooling. Um, I know they didn't get anything for Wilson Contreras, but the, the, the Chris Bryant trade, the Anthony Rizzo trade, um, and the Javi Baez trade, they got a nice crop of young guys back. They, they've hit on some draft picks lately. They've made some decent international signings that have uh, worked out here. I think they're like, if you say pick a dark horse team, that's really not being talked about a lot in terms of, that has a chance at Otani. It's a major market. They're going to be looking for a cornerstone player to build around. I could totally see the Cubs being that team, you know, the, the, the late inning, we, uh, yeah. a, a sneaky team, an unknown team has entered the, the market. <laughs> I could see that being the Cubs. So I think the, the car, if we're talking about teams that are going to try and outdo who might, who can extend him and might want to get first dibs by trading for him before the trade deadline this year, though the Dodgers, the Cardinals, the Cubs are my three favorites. <clears throat> I'm not going to sleep on Texas. Texas has no reason to stop right now, and they still have a top ten farm system according to yeah, the rankings. They they do, and um, the the pe- a lot of those farm system pieces kind of build how they are have constructed their team thus far. So I'm a little yep. bit hesitant to see to think that they're gonna based on how they spent the last two years on Simeon Seager and now Degrom. I'm a little bit worried to. to thinking that they're, they're going to commit another 500 million to a player, but you're, you're totally right. New stadium. There's massive development around there. That ownership group is all in. Could it be Otani is the next one? It certainly could be Mike. Yeah, why not? That, that's a, that's a good call. <laughs> and then I'll, the only other thing I'll say, and we'll get up, we'll get on to our next candidate here. Um, if, and when it gets to free agency, and I believe it does. I think the angels are flawed. <laughs> And flawed to the point of where they're going to stay with this guy as long as they can because he's relevant and they won't be. So that's their only kind of way to finish the season is to have this guy in the roster still because everybody's going to be talking about him. Even though the talking about him is going to be about him not being with them next year, they're still talking about him in reference to the Angels. So I, I actually think that's how this works out. And that's a terrible statement, but I think it's the actual way that this plays out. Um, so let's say it gets a free agency. There is one more team that has got to be in. They have to be in. And I think they're going to be as aggressive as any of these teams we've mentioned, including the Dodgers, and it's the Boston Red Sox. If it gets to the floor, and we're, t- and we're sitting here on December 1st, a legitimate run for Shohei Otani at least establishes some credibility for that franchise again. The Devers contract starts that process. 
But if you're the runner up, at least, you know, let's say they don't win out. I'm not sure they will. You ha- they have got to be a top three team making offers for Shohei Otani. They just have to be. It is the one single thing that can take them from a C to a B in this league again. And they, and they absolutely must do that. And baseball needs them to do that. I love your Cubs take. I love it. It would, it would take it, six months of what you've been talking about with this franchise. It would take them. It would make it all worth it. You know what I mean? It would become, all right, now we're here. We've arrived. Let's get, get ourselves back to where we used to be. Um, I've got it. My prediction, I'm just going to bury the league because nobody's going to read these freaking articles anyway, right? <laughs> <laughs> we just spend 45 minutes on one player. So, <laughs> uh, My prediction is 10 years, 450 to the Dodgers. I don't think it gets to 500. I think there's some creativity built into it. Maybe there's tons of escalators like the Julio Rodriguez contract that allows it to get to 500 pretty easily, but on its face, I just can't see a team. I mean, even $45 million a year for one player, that's an insane, you know, I know we've got 43 and change right now in Scherzer and Verlander. It's just a lot of damn tax salary for one player. So I don't think we can get to $50 million a year next year. You know, it's coming eventually. I just don't think we're there quite yet. Um, but that's, that's where I sit. I, I still think the Dodgers win this thing out at the end of it. And I think you're right there with me. Yeah, I, I, if I'm going to oppose you at all on this, I think it does somehow, some way get over 500 million, but mm. I, you're, you're the numbers guy. You have the numbers mm. behind it. I'm just it's going, just big the, jump. I know, I think uh, here, here's my advocacy for why I think that a lot of, a lot of times we see the, ca- this real ceiling get lowered on these contracts when there's concerns about where that player will play. We have had, cons- we have talked through how he how his career will you know how he will age where he'll move how he'll play he's still a good defender he has an incredible arm you can move him around first base you can maybe have him a relief as a reliever the otani rules there so i do think that there's less concern about if he doesn't pitch beyond three or four years from now if that's a 10-year deal um i do think teams will be able to you know kind of bite you know, swallow, swallow hard and just rip off that contract, even if it is um, in an uncomfortable range, but you have the numbers behind it. 10 for 450 seems right on the, right on the nose. I'm just like, as a gut feel, I feel like it somehow gets over 500, but um, I don't have anything concrete to uh, back that up. Plenty more time to talk about this. No question. Yeah. Only (laughs) yeah, 10 more months at least minimum. Uh, Let's, let's stay out West with Juan Soto. Just off the gate, we've talked a bit about him. He didn't have the greatest 2022. In fact, his value dipped quite a bit in our system, um, you know, down below Vlad Guerrero, believe it or not. Is, uh, is there any chance that Soto and Boris do this one early? It, I, I say no. I mean, yeah, I think me all of these guys get to. We just saw what happened with bidding wars with less than elite, like, I, sorry, I don't want to, I'm not dogging those players. They're still elite. These guys are like really what we would classify as generational talents. Cornerstones, um, totally. Yeah, yeah. And um, if they all, if all three of those guys hit the, the open market in the same year, I mean, we're going to, we're not just going to see teams say, oh, we only had this much in our budget. Like if there's a, a war, if there is a bidding war for um, these three players, the, the numbers are going to get real high. <clears throat> yeah, uh- there's four or five guys in this list that all kind of gloss together, contractually speaking and value speaking. And it's really just going to be a cat and mouse game like it was with the shortstops, right? Who's going to strike first and then who's going to go above that and then who's going to go above that and who's going to go above that, right? And I think Soto is just going to want to be last. That's the way I read this. <laughs> he's going to be 
he was going to want to be after Alonzo and after Vlad Jr. and maybe after Otani next year. And I just think he's going to sit this whole season out, reestablish his elite value on a loaded lineup, and then start talking about this in December again. But I, I don't think there's a chance we're even talking about a contract there. And oh, by the way, he's going to wait to see what happens with Machado. Right, I know. I I incorrectly lumped him in with the other two guys in free yeah. agency next year. He does have an extra year of arbitration. One more, um, yeah. Yeah, so I I, I spoke I, I misspoke on that one, but but yeah, I mean theoretically, what we might refer to as three generational players hitting free agency and back, you know, a combined three guys in two years. Um, numbers are gonna numbers are gonna pop. That's for sure. Yeah. So he he and Pete Alonso are aligned at the hip here. Um, and that's going to be fascinating if both are slow played or both choose to slow play this process, which I think could happen. I still think there's an Otani like contract for Juan Soto. Danny's only 24. It's crazy. <laughs> I mean, yeah, it's we're unbelievable. All... And uh, he's already done so much, including the World Series win with with Washington after taking over full time for Bryce Harper. He's he just feels like an old man already in this system. And he's not. He is more than worthy of the maybe the longest biggest contract in history not named Shohei Otani so I, I think that's what he's second in my article I think that's how this is all going to play out it's just going to take some time he's not going to jump into anything here what about Vlad Jr we've seen that the Blue Jays be a little bit more aggressive than normal which is a good thing we both think they have to do that to, re to really push up that AL East they've made it they've moved a couple of players off the roster which I think are addition by subtraction in a lot of cases they're going to start to lock up this young core they've uh, they've bought out uh, Bo Bichette's arbitration process. Vlad's got to be on the books here at some point in time, right? I mean, there's time. There's there's plenty of arbitration in front of him. But w where do we go with this? Is he just sitting this out for a bit? You know, you know to kind of see where everything else, where all the chips fall. He's got three more arbitration, or excuse me, two more arbitration years. But ARB2 was 14 and a half million. I mean, that's, that's not normal. That's not normal. His numbers are absurd. I know you're all in on this guy. If you're his agent right now, let's take it from the player's perspective. What are you doing? What are you thinking? Um, honestly, I think he, from the tea leaves I'm reading, it sounds like he is open to an early extension, Um, but it seems like it's he's the kind of guy that wants just fair market value, like a Devers-type contract, where he's not looking yeah. um, to, to get overpaid to take an early deal. Um he's the cornerstone of that franchise. He grew up in Canada. Um, that's sort of an underrated point that people don't really think about. Um, yeah. I, I just think he's going to be open in one of the biggest markets in, in the league with a team that is very well ran from the top down. They're going to be contenders in years that they aren't going to be contenders. They're going to be actively retooling to get back into contention quickly. Um, I think he would definitely be open as he's seeing other guys around him get locked in. Um, they have a really good pitching staff for the next couple of years. Um, I mean, maybe Vlad Guerrero just says, let me just play out my string here and try and win a world series and I'll hit the open market. That's totally within his range. Yeah. Um, I, I don't know. Maybe it's just like a personal bias I have. I'm willing to admit that, but I, I think this gets done. Um, but it, it follows kind of the, the trajectory of a Devers deal where um, we're not looking at it going, wow, they saved a ton of money by doing it early or wow, the player seems like he's going to lose out on a ton of money over the course of this deal. I, I think it's going to be good for both sides and it's just going to be something that both sides want to meet at the table and get it done before um, anything deteriorates and they, they get closer to free agency. <clears throat> if, 
if you're 23 years old and you've hit 80 home runs with 208 RBIs in the past two seasons, are, are you thinking one contract for the rest of my career right now? Or do you think that a player like this should segment this and get himself to age 30 and then do it all over again? Yeah, good question. Um, I mean, he's a first baseman that can't at this point play elsewhere. Yeah, um, yeah they tried so- third for a minute. It didn't work. Yeah, he was he was fine, but not real great. You could it was just a natural transition. I I my gut reaction was going to say leave room for outs in it, but I could see him just locking it in and but maybe it maybe the team would be motivated to to leave outs on their end in case it it doesn't age well, but I mean we just sort again to compare it to Devers, we just saw this with Devers where Mm-hmm. They're paying him as if he's going to stay at third where a lot of people, I know, I, I know I've made the point he's made strides at third base um, defensively, but people around the industry don't think he's going to stick there more than two or two or three years. So now you're moving a guy making 30 plus mil over to first base. Um, like yeah. it, it's sort of the Vlad Guerrero situation, except he just doesn't play third. So I, and, and sorry to back up, we saw the Devers deal have no outs included in it. Right. So I, I think it'll follow something similar to that. I, I think from a player perspective, he might just want to lock in that one that one contract. But it really is hard to tell when these guys can get back into the open market a couple years down the line and basically double what they would have made. It's 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 appealing. He's a twelve year four hundred and twenty five million dollar player in our system right now, Dan. Yeah. <laughs> I mean, this is a no joke situation. Not enough people have seen this guy because of the lack of postseason prowess with toronto that's coming that's all going to be part of this oh. I th- sorry can, can we just establish when you say when you say him getting into free agency again yeah you, you think this is a 10-year deal or a 15-year deal because he is young i mean right. an eight, 10-year deal still gets him back on the open market in his sort of his prime right i'm wondering if he's not pushing for an eight-year deal it's okay. my point. It's my point. Yeah. And I was laying that out as if it's a 10 year deal with an out after five. So mm-hmm. I, I'm glad we clarified that. Yeah. I, I agree with that. I think Toronto's pushing for the 12 year deal, you know, just because of the tax situation and all the other miles they have to feed in that roster right now to keep things going. They probably shouldn't be <laughs> and, and quite honest, you know, quite frankly, they, I think everybody should be happy with the six to eight deal and overpay it for a bunch of years. Because especially in that division, it's only a matter of time before, you know, the pecking order changes again and Toronto's just not in contention. It's just how it works, you know. So I, I think that realistically they could get themselves to, you know, an eight-year deal at a really good premium or a 10 for 350 or something like that and make it all work. But uh, this guy's getting generational money. There's no question about that. And it's, if it's not right now, as you allude to, it might be. It's probably coming after the season, which might even be better for him because I think both you and I believe Toronto is going to be a team, a team with a force this year, a, a real chance to overtake the Yankees for a lot in a lot of cases and actually make a huge name for themselves. So he might, he might elevate this thing all over again this time next season. We'll see. Um, let's go to Pete. Pete Alonso with the Mets. The Mets paid everybody else in the world except for Pete Alonso. Some people don't understand that. Um, my guess is it's just Pete saying, not yet. Is that fair? My guess is an offer has been made. Why wouldn't it have been? Yeah. Um, and I mean, 
it could there be any luxury tax implications that they don't want to break mm-hmm. off another big contract into this season? Um, I, I don't know. Yeah, I, I uh, similar situation. I think he likes it there. The team wants to have him there long term. I, I don't see why this one won't get done um, similarly along the lines of um, of Vlad. Does he have to be paid more than Lindor? I've actually heard, been hearing this. I actually heard this discussed a couple weeks ago on a podcast in terms of like locker room dynamics and mm-hmm. who, you know, the highest paid guy is the leader. Um, I think you could match it or come very close. Um, mm-hmm. I don't, I mean, Pete doesn't come off to me like that ego dude who wants to be the highest paid in the room. He's going to have a voice either way. He's going to be a leader on that team either way. Um, yeah. I, you know, for the sake of just saying, we need to one up Lindor's contract for a first baseman. I, I don't think that's like the bar. Now, if just in the inflation of contracts year to year, you value the shortstop more is what you're saying. Yeah. Premium position for sure. I, yeah. I don't think you have to compare the two um, one for one and say, Pete needs to be paid more than Lindor. And I do, do you think he's worth, do you think he should be paid 35 mil, you know, to get him over? If I'm, if I'm, kind of read the tea leaves here, Dan, the, the 14 and a half that he just agreed to, to avoid arbitration in his second year of arbitration based on the formulas that we use, that makes him a $36 million player. Right. That's, that's basically what the Mets just said with this offer, with this arbitration in offer. T- two years from now as well. Yeah. Yeah. That, that's what the long-term market value of Pete Alonzo is in, in the Mets eyes is basically what this means. So Yeah. Does he compromise at 35, go slightly north of Lindor's 34.1? Yeah, I think that's probably where we're headed here. And, and I think there's nothing wrong with that. I, I really don't. Lindor is the – boy, how do I say this without sounding like a jerk? Lindor sounds like it's more of the teacher's pet. <laughs> you know what I mean? Oh, yeah. He's oh. constantly in with, with Buck Showalter. He's, he's probably the captain of this team right now, to be honest. But he can't really be that because Max Scherzer is just a, literally a, a force, <laughs> like, like, a, like, a, like a screaming – loud force he's that guy right now and verlander is going to be the 1a of that so there's a lot of other bodies in this on this dugout right now so to have that argument about who needs to be the voice or the or the statue you know the the, the example in that locker room there's like a half dozen players at this point of time that, that are going to hold that banner um i just think alonzo is at least on par in this conversation and if you're telling me there's a new CBA and the tax salary went up and there's a new owner who's throwing offers to Correa with a bad foot, right? I mean, there's a lot of things built into this. You're just going to have to go next man up for Alonzo. You're just going to have to. You don't have to crush it. You don't have to give the guy Aaron Judge's contract. But you're probably going to have to you know, surpass the Lindor contract slightly and just yeah, move forward. I think things naturally go there. I guess I was just trying to lay out that I don't think it's like an, an internal negotiation among right. Pete's people or the team saying we got to get him over Lindor's number because we want him to be the leader. I think it just might naturally get there um, over the yep. next two years based on his ARB numbers and what our numbers suggest um, that's going to top out at and you know when he gets to free agency. So yeah, I, I'm I'm on board with that. <clears throat> Do you think they have to wait? He, they have to wait until the Scherzer Verlander stuff falls off. That that's I 
so I guess I haven't looked at their luxury tax situation a few years down the line here, but um, mm-hmm. I do wonder if that's not a thing. Um, I mean, they're going for it now. They obviously want to keep Pete in the fold. That's going to be a major hole in your lineup um, if you have to try and replace him in a couple years. But um, yeah, I I think they're trying to lay it all out. I, I they're they really do. We act like Steve Cohen just throws caution to the wind, which he sort of has, but I think we underestimate the, the fiscal plan that they have in place. They yeah. have it mapped out. They know what they want to do. Um, they know how they want to layer and structure these deals. Um, I mean, like we, you have a Marte contract to deal with. Um, you, you just signed Brandon Nimmo. You have a huge Diaz contract to, to deal with. I mean, uh, among the other people you've already mentioned, I, I'm, leaving out Verlander, all, all these guys. So yeah, I think they need to be strategic and not just say you're, you're ready to get paid. Let's pay you, you know? So I, I think they, they have time to wait and they should, they sort of should wait in this this situation. Let's go to a couple of names here and we won't go through all 10. We'll make sure, uh, you know, I'll, I'll post out some notes and things like that with this article on, on Twitter at spy truck on Twitter. Let's go to two names. I think are going to get done in the next couple of weeks. Um, We've already heard rumblings about Logan Webb, the starting pitcher for the Giants. I, I think you agree, right, that this this seems like it's going to be a slam dunk, just get it done. He's the clear ace now there. Yep. Yeah, I think it I think it will trend that way. Um it's it mm-hmm, I know I just said we shouldn't talk value. I think from a team perspective, it it will look good for them. I think from a player perspective, it will look good for him. He's going to get paid what he earns or what he deserves. Um, and I, I don't think the team will have regrets about um, forfeiting some of his, ar- you know, trying to go to arbitration with him or anything like that. So, yeah, I, I think this is trending that way. The Giants look like they want to spend um, – they've let pitching get out of town in recent years. So I think in, in, you know, a relatively homegrown pitcher like Logan Webb, I think is a guy they'd be motivated to keep around uh, in the fold for a couple of years. He's an ARB one. He just avoided at 4.6 million. Um, Right. We've done a bunch of work on these ARB extensions of, of late. Where do you think this ends up, Dan? I think it, I think it climbs relatively quick based on his early, mm-hmm. his early career production. I mean, the platform year comes into play so much here, um, which is why we see like a substantial raise in his first year of arbitration. Um, that first year is key in terms of like compounding um, salary in future years. Like, like at the comparison I'm making is Cody Bellinger. We saw early career production from Cody Bellinger it got him to historic levels in arbitration then we saw that production fall off in recent years um and last year he still got paid uh what was it 18 million arbitration which was yeah, just uh, flatlined um, essentially mm-hmm. exactly so not that Logan I don't think I'm not predicting Logan Webb is going to fall off I'm just predicting that this early see his early season production and consistency is going to be a good sign for his arb years um I think for I think the four or five number is right there. And I think your extension prediction is, is, is right in line with what he would get in terms of arbitration. So yeah, no the, uh, the NL Cy Young winner, Sandy Alcantara, just, uh, you know, actually it was almost a full year ago now locked in a five for 56 arbitration extension at the exact same point of his uh, team control that Logan Webb sits in right now. Um, there's an option to get it up into the seventies. 
or close to the 70s in over a six-year span. It, I mean, you want to talk about value. This is a value contract. I mean, he's, a, he's only getting 20 million across his arbitration total for three seasons. And then things jump up a little bit in his first two free agency seasons. I don't believe that's where Logan Webb has to be. I think Logan Webb has to get into the 27 to $30 million range for arbitration based on where he started now with four and a half million. So I've got this at about five for 60, maybe with options and escalators to get this even higher um, just because of where Alcantara's contract came in. If you talk about Spencer Strider, Dan, who the, who the Braves just locked in, he had two pre-arb seasons left. He's getting 75 over the next seven seasons uh, with the club option built in. There's, there's a lot to think about here, right? I mean, there's, we're sort of seeing just a rogue, whatever is the situation is the situation. Nobody's really bouncing off other contracts like other sports tend to do. The Giants don't have a lot of mouths to feed. They've swung and missed in a lot of free agent situations here. I, I don't know. Do you just lock this guy in longer, even longer term than some of these other pre-arb extensions you've seen? Theoretically, sure, if, if they yeah. want to. I, I actually love this, Andy. I, I know offline we've had some back and forth on it. You've been sort of hammering it. Um, deservedly so. But if we also put ourselves back into pre-2020 status where Sandy Alcantara did not, had not breaking out, broken out yet and he was more of just like a tantalizing um, prospect that with tons of potential – that's sort of where we are with Logan Webb. He was kind of a hot breakout candidate last year. He had a really good year, but he didn't really pop the way people thought he would. Um, Sandy Alcantara was the guy that last year that was yeah. a sleeper candidate. People thought would pop. He did pop in a big way. So what I'm trying to say here is if Miami waited for the Alcantara year to happen, the, the NL Cy Young year to happen, this contract no. would have been – much more than we than we saw right so i'm arguing that the giants should be motivated to get something in that range done because mm -hmm. if logan webb let's say is a top five cy young nl cy young candidate this year that contract is going up every time he steps on the mound right so i, I like that comparison in terms of um you know in last logan webb is last year's version of or this year's version of sandy alcantara last year almost so I've got the Houston Astros at about 197 in projected tax payroll. So, you know, give or take what? 30 some million of space, 44 million of space, give or take some pre-arb stuff. Isn't it the right time to lock in Kyle Tucker, Dan? Who's going to be the next big thing? It, yeah, we, I know in the past, we, Yes. Yes. Uh, let me just leave it at yes. I, I, they have a lot of money. They have a lot of com money committed to a few guys right now, but those will come off the board in, in a couple of years. Um, they literally two of, for Altuve and Bregman, two more years. Exactly. Right. And then it's just what Alvarez beyond that. Um, Jose Abreu, Lance McCullers, but yeah, it dwindles. Yep. Alvarez. Right. So they, yeah, they, well, they could use another bat for the next five, six years. No question about exactly. it. Exactly. Yeah. That's why we think that internally he could mm -hmm. be one of these guys that they identify. They really haven't broken off one of these massive contracts. Um, ex sorry, extensions um, for one of their players in a while. I think Kyle, I mean, we talked about this in the past. They slow, they, Kyle Tucker was slow played like few prospects I've ever seen in my life. I feel like this guy for five years, we kept hearing Kyle Tucker. This is the year he gets right field. This is the year 
He plays 500 plate appearances. It never happened until a couple years ago. Um, whether that is them really trying to polish him as a prospect, whether they were trying to keep, you know, financial yeah, numbers down yeah. or, or just like extend his window out a little bit. I, I don't really know, but here he is 26 about, you know, coming into the prime of his career. I think they're going to be motivated to try and lock something up here. Um, yeah. And why not? Right. No, it's the right time for a lot of, you mentioned most of the reasons I was going to bring up, which is the, the, the pendulum is swinging a little bit towards, you know, uh, getting off of that Altuve generation and into this next generation. And I think Kyle Tucker is that next generation. Alvarez is going to be the, the big, big bat, right? Your power bat, and you've locked him up accordingly. Framber Valdez is going to be the big pitcher for the next four to five years. He's ARB3. You know, you're going to have to do something about him sooner rather than later. So maybe they prioritize that over Tucker. I wouldn't. If, if Kyle Tucker has another 30 and 100 year, he's got two in a row, almost identical seasons. If he does a third in a row, there's just no looking back. It's almost to the point now where we're just going to wait this out, get the free agency like Springer and Correa did, right? You don't, want it, you don't want that to happen again. You've lost big names on purpose, I think, in Houston because there were you had fill-ins. Clear, clearly, they had backups ready to step in, prospects ready to step in. I'm not sure that's the case with Kyle Tucker, who has been the prized prospect waiting in the wings as you laid out there. So I, I do think it's the right time for them. And they have the space on their tax payroll right now. They can remain under the threshold, remain in contention. They've already got 95% of this roster laid out for 2023 as they approach spring training. It's the right time. That should be the next big, big contract to hit, in my opinion, over the next couple of weeks here. Yeah, we have him at six, estimated at almost six mil in his first year of arbitration, which is which we yeah. just laid out with Vlad Guerrero is a very strong number. So very strong number. If we put it into the little formula here, we're talking about you know, basically thirty a year. So you want to do essentially a a modern day inflation adjusted version of Alex Bregman's deal. That's what you want to do. You gave Bregman five for a hundred forever ago, right? You want to push that now into what now the, the standards of that in 2023 would be and just get it done and lock him in for your next five, six seasons. That's the way to go here. So I, I don't think it has to be a, a, a blockbuster contract because that's not how the Houston Astros are going to operate, at least not during this current regime. But to me, he's the big one. It's not Alonzo. It's not Vlad. It's not Juan Soto. Certainly not Otani. I think the Kyle Tucker is going to be the next big blockbuster extension in major league baseball leading up to March to April 1st here. I actually love that. I, I will, I will jump on that and predict this gets done before opening day. Actually. I, I like it as you've laid it out. I think all the signs are there for them to, to make a move on Kyle Tucker. And they've been quiet, right? They're just kind of doing their business internally, which makes me think even more that, that that's how they're operating internally. They've got decisions to be made internally here with him. They're working out his arbitration filing right now. Why not? Why just throw, why not just throw it out the window and you know announce a seven eight year extension instead? I think that's where we're headed. And we see that sometimes with these teams that take guys to arbitration. We on the outside look at it as whoa they didn't get a deal done, where they just look at it as like an extension to a deadline to say well we just needed more time to work on a deal. Um, and and you know why? And and this is undersold. I've said it a couple times. I've heard I'd have agents come on here and say it out loud to me too. It can get pretty ugly in arbitration. They can get pretty damn nasty. You are under a microscope. All of your bads are exposed, right? And your goods certainly come out as well. But it gets pretty contentious between team player and agent during those filings, during those settlement processes. So uh, you don't want to do that. You don't want to you don't want to rub things the wrong way and, and 
risk the chance that things could go sour for the next two years, three years of arbitration here with what should be your preeminent hitter. Yeah, I totally agree. We got to come back and do a Machado episode because clearly we're not going to squeeze him into <laughs> what's been an hour of talk already, but we got a lot more baseball to get to. There's no question about it. A lot more autonomy to get to. I think a deep dive on Boston and Philadelphia specifically have to come in our lives here soon because uh, they're doing they're they're going two separate directions and it's they've got some history tied to each other and uh, just where those things end up you know the Phillies could essentially be the Los Angeles Rams you know I, I I'm I'm kind of concerned that that's where we're going with the Philadelphia Phillies if a lot of good things don't happen. But a uh, ton of money spent on that roster. Not a lot of money spent on Boston. They're, they're in transition right now. And uh, what's happening with your Cubs? Because I do think, and I'm calling them your Cubs. Even My though, Cubs. Even, yeah, though, wow. even though I sat with you and watched your Cubs beat your then Indians in the World Series. So. Amazing. <laughs> Lots of baseball. We'll talk soon. I'm, Thanks. I'm the Cubs stan all of a sudden. That's, all, that's <laughs> the only way to end this conversation. <laughs> all right. Thanks, Mike. My thanks to Dan. My thanks to Keith Smith. He's at Keith Smith NBA on Twitter. He will be a vital follow for the next 24 hours as the NBA trade deadline is here. And there's going to be movement, maybe even more movement with Brooklyn and Dallas, as Keith laid out here for us. My thanks to Cousin Dan and the baseball discussion. I'll have him back on Friday. We'll talk about some gambling stuff with the Super Bowl as well because the prop bets are out of control. Just thousands of them. You can bet on absolutely anything, and we're going to pick up maybe five or six things that we like, maybe that we're even betting for this Sunday's big game and discuss that on Friday. Should be a pretty fun show. For Scott Allen, my name is Mike Gennetti. Thanks for listening to this edition of the Spot Track Podcast.